Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today's Thursday, February 4th. Oil prices are up, new COVID infections are down in 47 states, and we're focused on Jeff Bezos' place in history. Jeff Bezos earlier this week announced plans to retire as CEO of Amazon, effective this summer, to be succeeded by the head of Amazon's cloud services business, Andy Jassy. But Bezos is just 57 years old, and this isn't the sort of retirement that's going to include nonstop rounds of golf on either side of leisurely lunches. For starters, Bezos is sticking around at Amazon in an executive chairman role. Second, he still owns the Washington Post. Oh, and then there is Blue Origin, the rocket company he founded two years before Elon Musk founded SpaceX. What Bezos' announcement does give us, though, is a good moment to begin reflecting on his legacy. Remember, a lot of people thought it was ridiculous to sell books through the internet. We had bookstores and libraries. People thought free delivery would be a bottom-line killer and two-hour delivery a logistical one. And then there's AWS, the cloud services business, which launched when most companies thought it was the most sensible and safest to have their servers on-premises. Bezos and Amazon, of course, proved their doubters wrong at every turn. At the same time, though, They've been increasingly criticized for everything from workplace conditions to having too much market power, both of which might be addressed by federal legislation this year. So to help put Bezos in more historical context and to think about the future of what he's built, we want to talk to Walter Isaacson, the former Time Magazine editor, Steve Jobs biographer, and current history professor at Tulane University. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Walter Isaacson. Uh, Walter, let's start here. You put Jeff Bezos on the cover of Time Magazine back in 1999 uh, as your person of the year. Thinking back, was there a lot of kind of internal dissent about that pick or was it kind of a consensus? Absolutely. There was internal dissent as 1999 drew to a close because everybody thought it was a really cool idea in August or September. You're too young to remember, Dan, but by the end of 1999, all of a sudden the air was starting to go out of the internet boom. And Amazon stock, which had been, I think, more than 100, starts dropping and dropping. And so people came to me and said, we're going to be embarrassed. We're going to look like idiots. Amazon's going to be gone in a year or two, and you're making him person of the year. And I went to Don Logan, smartest guy I know, president of Time Inc. I said, are we making a mistake? And Don said, no, Jeff Bezos is not in the internet business. He's in the customer service business. He'll be around 20 years from now. So I stuck with the plan to make him person of the year. The stock did drop early in 2000. People started making fun of me. After a while, they stopped making fun of me. Walter, and by the way, I appreciate you thinking I'm too young to remember that, so that's good. You have written biographies, not just of Steve Jobs, but you know Da Vinci and, and Einstein. You've written about Ben Franklin, soon Jennifer Doudna. Where do you place Bezos kind of in the uh, innovators pantheon? I think that he's in the pantheon with only four or five others of our day and generation. That includes, of course, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Sergey and Larry, and uh, then probably Elon Musk, although we have to see how the movie ends. That's especially in the information technology space. I do think we're entering a period of biotechnology and COVID and CRISPR are driving us in that direction, which is why my next book is about Jennifer Doudna, who just won the Nobel Prize in chemistry. I think that's going to be the next platform for innovation. 
You know, it's interesting when you said that Don Logan said to you that Bezos isn't in the internet business, he's in the customer service business. I think you said those other people you talked about, obviously Steve Jobs to a certain extent is in the customer service business, right? I have an iPhone that got sold to me or was in it. Is Bezos different though than those other folks in that he, of, of that group you mentioned, seems to be the least of a technologist? No, first of all, he's super customer focused. And whether it's the Washington Post loading faster on, you know, its web page and in the other side, or whether it's the fact that when I use Amazon or Amazon Web Services, there's a clear, intuitive user interface. Jeff Bezos, like Steve Jobs, is able to stand at the intersection of the humanities and technology and to make products that are just so intuitively easy, they make our hearts sing. You know, I assume you spoke at some point with Bezos back in the late 90s when you were doing the, the person of the year. You have interviewed him much, much more recently than that, including on stage, I think a year and a half or two years ago. What's the one thing that jumps out at you most in terms of personal growth or, or kind of evolution of Jeff Bezos, particularly as kind of CEO of Amazon? I think his curiosity. He is relentlessly and joyfully curious. You know, he's like he's still living in his wonder years. You know, when we were eight or nine years old, we were curious. Why is the sky blue? How did that rocket ship get up? That type of thing. If you're with Jeff now, he is like somebody who never outgrew his wonder years and has that boisterous boombox of a laugh whenever something strikes his fancy. And so I think that's why you see him in so many different fields. I just wrote the introduction for his collected works, Invent and Wander. And that's the theme of his writings, but it's also the theme of the biography I wrote at the beginning of that book, which is that curiosity, just like Leonardo da Vinci had it, just like Steve Jobs had it, that leads to creativity. Obviously, you're not an Amazon beat reporter, but you know, lots of stories over the past couple of years about Bezos and Amazon was Jeff's still in charge. He has still got his finger on the pulse internally. Then he announces that he's stepping back a couple of days ago, and all the stories now seem to be, oh, it's not really a big deal. He's actually been stepping back for years. What's your sense? How involved day-to-day -day has he been recently? And how much do you think this transition into an executive chairman role, from a tangible perspective, really matters? I think that he was deeply involved until about a year, a year and a half ago, when he buys the Washington Post, gets more interested in space, his own married and personal life changes a bit, and the kids get off to college. He becomes much more of a celebrity. He buys a lot of homes, steps back from Amazon. Then the pandemic hits. And I think he threw himself, I know, because I've talked to him about it, he threw himself back into Amazon because it was having an existential crisis, make or break crisis, ends up making, not breaking Amazon, but it becomes huge as America depends on things like Amazon to get whatever you need from uh, your drugstore materials to your clothing to your door. And so the logistics and the whole way of dealing with it, cutting back on inventory so you could keep the supply chains working. Uh, we ran out a whole lot of things, including protective masks and all in America. But Amazon didn't run out of things because that's because Jeff threw himself back into it. Then, starting in about August or September of this past year, it became clear that uh, Andy Jassy was going to succeed him. There was somewhat of a shakeup in management because of that, and that's when Jeff starts receding yet again. So it's been about five months in the works, and it was happening a year or two ago, but then put on pause for the pandemic.
One of the things that's obviously changed since last fall, since Andy kind of became the the obvious heir apparent, uh, is a political change, which is Democrats taking the White House and uh, the Senate maintaining the House. There is lots of talk about various pieces of legislation that could significantly impact Amazon, from minimum wage of $15 to some of the antitrust stuff that we've even seen today with Amy Klobuchar coming out with a bill. Has Andy Jassy been thrown into a massive fire as Jeff walks away? In other words, is the Amazon is a hard company to run, but is it about to become particularly hard for the new guy? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty difficult time. As you say, there's going to be a lot of antitrust things, whether it's from Ted Cruz on the right to AOC on the left and Amy Klobuchar up the middle, this notion that I think Amazon is somewhat vulnerable to the charge that it takes its bigness and its dominance in the retail market and leverages that in a way that hurts competition in adjacent fields. That's basically what the old Sherman antitrust law and the standard oil breakup was all about. So he's going to have to face that. Minimum wage counterintuitively probably is not the worst thing for Amazon because it'll mean everybody We'll have to raise that. And Amazons and Walmarts uh, can survive that more easily than smaller businesses may be able to. I think Andy Jassy is not somebody with a fingertip feel for how to uh, deal with uh, government. But the important thing is Amazon Web Services, that's the big driver of the company. We all, you know, the shirt I'm wearing now, I bought from Amazon. But what really drives that company now is having a platform that other people build upon, like web services. That's not going to be affected by minimum wage and not going to be all that affected by antitrust because they only have 30 percent of the market in uh, cloud computing. Walter, final question for you, given uh, that your day job or actually, I guess kind of you could say your night job is being an author outside of the book, as you said, the collected works of, of Jeff Bezos. For somebody who wants to read about Jeff Bezos and understand the rise of Amazon, what's the single book you would recommend somebody buy through Amazon or some other platform? Um, I think there are a couple of books. Um, Washington Post guy did one on uh, Jeff Bezos' space exploration, and so did uh, Tim Farenholtz, looking at both Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. That gives you a sense of the curiosity it's interesting. Uh, there hasn't really been. Uh, and, oh, and there's the Everything Store that Brad Stone did, which is very good, very tough on the anti-competitive practices of Amazon. I'm not writing one, but there is a biography, I think, to be done. And I assume Brad Stone and others will be pursuing that. Walter Isaacson uh, from New Orleans today. Balmy New Orleans today. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, and happy Mardi Gras to you. Welcome back. What we're watching today is a different CEO departure. Ken Frazier, who announced he'll retire as CEO of pharma giant Merck on June 30th. Like Bezos, Frazier will take on an executive chairman role, but his CEO departure will leave just three black CEOs in the Fortune 500, or put another way, just half of 1%. And that figure includes Roz Brewer, who's taking the top job at Walgreens, but hasn't done so yet. The bottom line, there have only been 15 black CEOs who have ever led a Fortune 500 company since the list was first published in 1955. Today, we're also continuing to watch the ongoing federal stimulus talks. The latest is a new child benefits plan from Mitt Romney that's even more generous than what Democrats had offered. The bull case for Romney's plan is that it could be a new area of bipartisan support as both sides continue to squabble over the overall package. The bear case, though, is that Romney doesn't necessarily represent most of his Senate Republican colleagues right now. 
and even some Democrats might bristle at Romney's plan to partially pay for the new kid checks by eliminating a welfare program called the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. And finally today, some good news on the pandemic front. New COVID-19 infections fell nearly 16% over the past week, and only three states, Texas, Pennsylvania, and Oregon, saw increases. Sure, there are still lots of caveats, particularly given that weekly infections continue to be much higher than they were last spring or summer, but the positive weekly trend lines are also being seen when it comes to new hospitalizations, which are down over 26% week over week, and deaths down around 6%. Plus, as vaccination rates continue to climb, America might finally be able to see around the corner. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven. Have a great national homemade soup day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.